I've had a mix of freelancing, full-time jobs, done a bit of acting. I recently wrote a book about this, which you mentioned, which is called The Freelance Mindset. And it's really about thinking like a freelancer to make sure that you're not just necessarily putting your eggs into this one basket of the ideal career and the ideal skill. Because as we've seen, even in the last three years, the world changes in an instant. Lives change in an instant. And if you don't have other identities, other interests outside of your career, going to have a harder time navigating that change. Welcome to The In Factor. I'm Rebecca White, and today we have a remarkable guest joining us, Joy Batra. She's a unique blend of corporate expertise and creative passion. Joy's journey from Harvard Law School and Harvard Business School to Bollywood and freelance consulting is an incredible story. She now focuses on blockchain compliance and is the author of The Freelance Mindset. Join us as we explore her incredible journey, her insights into freelancing, pursuing your passions, and the balance between corporate and creative pursuits. Joy, thank you for joining me today on The In Factor. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to, to hear your story. It's, um, it's a really fun one. And one of the things I love about it most is that it's got, a, you know, it's, it's a very diverse background and you're so young to still have experienced a lot of different things, left, left-brained and right-brained. Um, so, uh, you know, let's dive in. So you, you have a JD and an MBA from Harvard and, um, <laughs> but you've spent some time, you're freelancing, you've been a freelancer, consultant, book author, and let's say Bollywood actress uh, added to that. So um, it's quite a, quite a diverse group of activities. And I love that because it always leads to really interesting stories. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are right now uh, from you know, you went to law school and ended up now as a freelancer and a lot of fun things in between. So tell us a little bit about how that happened. Yeah. I mean, if you had told me that this is where I would be, you know, 10, 15, even 20 years ago, even one year ago, actually, <laughs> uh, everything has been a surprise. I've really only been able to see the next step at any given time. But I think the important thing throughout is that I've been really just very excited about trying everything. And I've just been a very curious person. And back in 2007, when I first started my career, everybody was quite curious about finance. You know, there was a, a bit of a, a crisis, if you'll recall. Yes. And uh, of course, I was kind of attracted to all the attention and all the excitement there. So that's where I started my career. And I really thought that I would go down this linear path. I applied to law school. And unfortunately, that was the year my dad passed away. And so now I was kind of faced with a decision where it was the early decision. There's a bigger decision to come. But I was in this early moment of, okay, I have a plan for myself, but so did my dad have a plan for himself. And he didn't get to finish it. You know, he was planning to work and then retire and then travel the world. And now I was in a place where I was relatively young, I was relatively healthy, and I felt like I had the opportunity to do the things that people would normally save for retirement. So there was a tension when I was going into law school already of, do I think about the long game or do I kind of enjoy the now? 
I, I did a bit of both. I spent, you know, the next four years in law school and business school and really tried to sample as much as I possibly could. And by the time I was about to graduate, I was going mad because I was like, well, I have to pick the career and I have to pick the right next thing. And there was a lot of pressure to choose correctly. And I remember I had the spreadsheet and charts and all the different industries were on it. And in the end, I ended up deciding to accept a job at a law firm and I would do startup and VC law. And I thought I would see a lot of companies and that's a great kind of opportunity. Okay. About six weeks later, I go to India and visit family and I thought, okay, well, I'm here for a couple of weeks. Why don't I just try an acting class? And I did. And then I got an audition and then I got a talent management contract. And then I had a big decision to make. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And so I had to decide, am I going to you know, go back to the life I had planned in this law firm or take this opportunity in this road of adventure? And we may or may not be sitting here today if I hadn't chosen the road of adventure. So you know what happened next as I went to India and I tried the acting thing. But along with me were my best friends, which were my six-figure student loans. And I oh really needed, yeah, oh gosh, I needed <laughs> cash. And those rupees were not any foe for the, the amount of debt that I had at that moment. So that's kind of how I stumbled into freelancing. And I was looking for short, part-time remote work, because this was 2014 and it wasn't the norm then, uh, that I could do a couple hours a day and then still have time for my auditions afterward. And it worked brilliantly for me. I really felt like I had found this missing path that no one had told me about, that I could spend half my days being really analytical, doing work that I had trained my entire life to do. It you know, was spreadsheets, it was PowerPoints. And then the day would switch and I would get to go to the other side of my brain and I would get to you know, explore as a creative, uh, learn a different skill, go be out there in front of cameras and, and really try this other side of myself. So that was kind of what ruined me for the rest of my life in a sense, because once I knew this opportunity was out there to be able to actually not have to choose either or, to be able to choose an and, uh, that changed me for the rest of my career. So from then on, I've had a mix of freelancing, full-time jobs, done a bit of acting. I recently wrote a book about this, which you mentioned, which is called The Freelance Mindset. And it's really about thinking like a freelancer, to make sure that you're not just necessarily putting your eggs into this one basket of the ideal career and the ideal skill. Because as we've seen, even in the last three years, the world changes in an instant. Lives change in an instant. And if you don't have other identities, other interests outside of your career, you're going to have a harder time navigating that change. And so, you know, there has been a lot of different industries in between uh, I've worked in music streaming, I have worked in strategy consulting, and then I really kind of doubled down on blockchain compliance. And that's really where I've spent the last uh, almost six years now. Wow, what a story. And I, I love it. You know, there's so many things I want to dig into there. You mentioned curiosity. And uh, interestingly, I'm a university professor. And just this morning, I was uh, teaching an undergraduate class on creative problem solving. And I brought up curiosity. And I think it, it is, you know, it's a fundamental uh, attribute that most uh, entrepreneur entrepreneurs uh, have. In fact, I think Sir Richard Branson, when he was asked, "What you know, what what is the attribute that most defines an entrepreneur?" He says, "Curiosity," because yeah. curiosity does kind of lead you to explore, right? And that's a lot of what you did. Now, I want to I want to ask you a few questions. You know, I've had a number of students over years who've 
grown up in families that supported entrepreneurship. And then some that have said to me, you know, my culture or my family doesn't really value entrepreneurship. They want me to be basically a doctor, lawyer, um, maybe an educator. So, uh, you know, did you have a family that was supportive? I know you, you, you lost your father and I'm sorry about that. I, I lost my father at a young age also, and it's, it's, it's very unsettling, but how was entrepreneurship, um, modeled for you or was it in your family? Yeah. First, I'm so sorry to hear you lost your dad young as well. It really changes you. It does. Uh, in my family, it was interesting because my my parents were immigrants from India to the United States in, in the 1970s. So they had been around for a little bit before I was born. But as an Im- immigrant, there was really this desire to find stability, to find safety, and to kind of make it in the new society that you're existing in. At the same time, my dad was actually a creativity professor. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that was his little side hustle. He, he worked an office job and then he would spend, you know, a couple times a month teaching office workers how to think creatively. And so he really modeled this problem solving at home. And the other thing for him was that he was an entrepreneur. He, he would go through cycles where he would work in an office job and then he would kind of save up some money and then decide to start a business. And, and you know, he toggled back and forth between full time and entrepreneurship a few times during my lifetime. And I think, you know, for him, the call of entrepreneurship was so strong, he couldn't have done anything else, but it wasn't the life that he wanted for me. I think for me, he wanted a very smooth, steady path, you know, get the right job, stay there and then just relax and enjoy your life. And when he passed away, I think, you know, there was the message that I was told verbally that made sense rationally. I did want to go to law school. I did want to have kind of a life that goes according to the plan that I had set. But at the same time, there was the life that had been modeled and the life that I was curious about. I mean, you can't take me to creativity classes as a child (laughs) and not expect me to learn this message. So I... I also tried, I really did try to take this linear path. And then the call of adventure was just too strong for me over and over again that I had to find different ways either to explore it or sometimes those ways found me and, and to really allow that and, and let my life go in a direction that deviated from the plan and in a direction that I didn't know what was next for me. But I was each time getting a building block that was then useful and transferable to the next stage of my career, even if it was a different industry, even if it was a different function. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, I think one of the things that uh, allows us to explore all those new and different and interesting areas is to have a beginner's mind, to be willing to be a beginner and um, and a learner. Do, do you feel like that was also something that you learned at home? And, and uh, you know, how did you feel about being, because you've embarked on a number of divergent uh, careers. And um, so how did it feel to be a beginner? I think I read, you know, that you, you struggled with, um, you know, obviously Hindi is not an easy language and you spoke Hindi, but enough to be an actress is quite a feat, actually. Well, let me just say that <laughs> I did speak Hindi, but with an American accent and many times I was acting without a voice at all. So <laughs> just silently kind of there. 
but you know, it's easy to have a beginner's mind when you're being a beginner, when you're trying something new. And for me, I've had so many opportunities to be a beginner, to be completely humbled because I was able to do something in my old environment. And now suddenly I'm either doing a new skill or in a new environment and I have no idea what to do next. And this really started for me as a kid because we moved around a lot as, as uh, during my childhood. So my parents immigrated to the United States, but then when I was born, the first 13 years of my life, we really went back and forth between the United States and different countries in Asia. Mostly we were in Indonesia, but we were also in Korea and Thailand and a few other places. Uh, and every time it was a pretty massive culture shock. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't have even barely had the internet at that time. And so I think I got very used to kind of perpetually being a little bit outside of my comfort zone, perpetually trying to see, okay, what are the new norms here? What are the pieces of this jigsaw puzzle that I'm missing? And maybe as an adult, that's something that I craved. I mean, we can we can save this for a session on the couch at some point. Right. Uh, but, you know, I think that really, you know, constantly having to stretch and then find my new comfort zone and then really make it in a new environment was just something that was ingrained in me through those experiences. But once I became an adult and nobody was necessarily telling me that I had to go to a different country or, you know, change my environment, then that was kind of on me to try and explore and to really find things that lit me up. And I think the thing that was really important to me is not necessarily the sense that I'm stagnating, but the the sense that there's something over there that's interesting. Like, okay, I kind of know what this is, but there's something new over here that I haven't explored. And so whether that was initially acting, later that was uh, getting deeper into dance, later that was writing, you know, there have been different elements uh, and different industries that have called to me and just kind of giving myself a small space to even indulge this little curiosity, because even if it doesn't become a profession for me, that time spent learning something where I was probably awful at it, I was definitely brand new, that time is not wasted because that's the time where you're learning a different side of yourself. You're you're getting different skills. You, you may still be a beginner by the end of this journey, but you are you know cultivating a different side of yourself. And then you're getting that resilience and that humility that really, you know, starts to fade away when you get very comfortable in the life that you've created for yourself. And that that translates to you into having better empathy for the people around you, better observational powers, and a little more confidence in yourself when you're faced with a new situation that maybe you didn't choose. Yeah, yeah. I love all that. And I think it's so powerful. You know, resilience um, is so important in the entrepreneurial journey, but also the ability to, um, to, kind of connect the dots to find innovation because innovation, you know, we all, uh, as we live, we start collecting more and more data points, if you will. And those data points, then we can start to find connections among. And so I, I find it really interesting that you did do all of this travel and experiencing of cultures, because I think there's, uh, there's a lot to be said for that from the, again, back to the creativity perspective, it gives us a little deep deeper well to go to, to pull, pull from, uh, for our, you know, for, for, if you want to live a creative life and, and want to pursue innovation and, and, uh, new things out there, new, transformative kinds of things. Do you, you know, as you think about your journey now, uh, you, you're freelancing, um, talk to us a little bit about 
you know, what it's like to be a freelancer. And I'm just really curious uh, about that because, you know, there are, um, there are upsides to freelancing and there are, are definite challenges to freelancing. So, uh, you know, what you, you mentioned already that freelancing gives you an opportunity to explore a lot of different kinds of things. So talk to, talk to us a little bit about freelancing and kind of, you know, what is that mindset and, and how does that work for you now? Yeah. So I think one of the really uh, strange things about our society, and maybe as a professor of entrepreneurship, you'll appreciate this, is that we really idolize entrepreneurship. And freelancing, you are running your own business and, you know, building many of the same skills. But freelancing, for some reason, is stigmatized in a way that entrepreneurship is not. And so that's something that I'm really passionate about helping people understand. I think when we think about freelancing, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is that we take a very all or nothing approach kind of as our default mode of expect of examining freelancing we think you're either a full-time freelancer or you work in an office job and there's no in between when the reality is there is a massive in between and freelancing is the most flexible of jobs because it is something that you custom make according to you know your skills and opportunities and and uh, you know other resources so you can be a freelancer when you have a full-time job you can work part-time and be part-time freelance you can be full-time freelance and anywhere in between. And I think when people are thinking about freelancing, it's really important to be honest with yourself about, you know, what are my needs in this moment? What resources do I have? And how much of myself can I really, you know, put out in the freelancing world? Like maybe you have a lot of obligations like student loans or, you know, caretaking for a family member, and you really do need the stability of a full-time job, but, and, and maybe the health insurance that goes along with it. But that doesn't mean that's the only thing you're interested in. And so then freelancing becomes a way to then test the waters of a different function, a different industry, and really build up your network, build up your skill set in a way that, you know, may stay, you know, two parallel tracks with one being your full-time job and one being whatever else you're doing in some other capacity. Or at some point they might merge, they might cross, the freelancing may somewhere down the line become what you end up doing full-time. But I think it's really important to carve out at least a little bit of space to explore. Uh, ideally, if you can get paid to explore, that will be a good thing. But if not, I think freelancing still counts, even if it's a side hustle that you cannot monetize or do not want to monetize. I think that the mindset is really about investing your time in a different skill, a different uh, part of your identity, and then also just kind of uh, really solving for yourself as an entire human being not just looking at, you know, getting on one linear ladder and having your decision made one time. And that's kind of the end of it, because it's not, this is going to ebb and flow throughout your career. So uh, what I'm hearing you say is it can lead to a very rich and fulfilling life. Um, you know, uh, every job that you ever take is going to have its good days and its bad days, even freelancing. Uh, but but having that variety can also be exciting and interesting and sort of keep our brains working. And interestingly, I think we're seeing a lot more people um, as they age, instead of retiring, deciding to freelance. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of cool, too, because it kind of keeps your brain working and keeps you younger and keeps you active. And then on the other end, I think we're seeing a lot of students who are doing side hustles to afford to pay for school and and uh, and then everything in between. 
Um, and, and some of those things are not new, but the idea, I think, of being in your 30s or 40s, having a family and still freelancing is, is somewhat new. And, and yet it's a large uh, percentage of the population, I think, isn't it? Yeah, especially, I mean, I know we're talking about 30s and 40s, but I'll start with Gen Z because the majority of Gen Z is freelancing. That was not the case, you know, when I was that age, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a millennial and we did have side jobs. We did kind of like work at the ice cream parlor or I was, you know, painting classrooms one summer and we just kind of thought of it as the temporary thing, or at least this is how I thought of it. It was a temporary thing until I start my real career. Whereas Gen Z brings a real kind of, um, seriousness and playfulness to the endeavor, which you need both as a freelancer. And so they're really using it as a vehicle to try their different skills, to sample different industries, to build up their portfolios, build up their networks. You know, they have many of them have many followers, many, you know, paid brands and and sponsorships, you know, at an early age that they're creating opportunity for themselves instead of waiting for somebody to give it to them. So that mindset is absolutely new. And it's also new, as you said, for people in 30s and 40s, people who have a family, people who are actually carving out time for other interests and and really potentially monetizing them, maybe just exploring them. I think this is a massive shift that we've seen in society in terms of how we think about our career, how we think about our own skills and how we think about our growth. Yeah. And, and you know, so the other side of this uh, um, is the employer. And, you know, that's kind of been a, a different path, I think. Um, I can tell you many years ago when I first started teaching a graduate entrepreneurship program when I was living in Cincinnati, I had a lot of students from P&G and other corporate uh, headquar- companies who have their corporate headquarters there. And they would pay for all of the classes. If they were employees, then, you know, they had a benefit. They would pay for all of the graduate courses in the MBA program, except the one on entrepreneurship, because they were threatened when their employees took an entrepreneurship class. Now that's changed dramatically from when that, uh, you know, I first was uh, teaching. So now employers are trying to figure out how they take advantage of this freelance workforce. Have you, do you have any experience or thoughts on, you know, how are companies adapting and, and what's, what's happening on that side, the people who employ the freelancers? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. So on the one hand, we have freelancers who are incredibly successful at building their freelance business, and they're so successful that they are then hired for those freelancing skills. And you know, in many cases, that will be a negotiation between the freelancer and their employer around, you know, what does full-time work look when I work for you? You hired me because I was a freelancer. Does this mean I get to continue freelancing? And companies are kind of across the board on the spectrum there. Some companies and some industries are very amenable to people working as a freelancer. So I think, you know, the examples that come to mind are really kind of for writers, for people in creative uh roles like design, uh, production, et cetera. Uh, to some extent, blockchain is one of those industries. And in on that side, I think the industry really thinks that, you know, allowing their employees to freelance allows them to build their network, to be more creatively satisfied, and to build skills that are then transferable to the day job. Then on the flip side, there are a lot of companies that are maybe a little more wary of freelancers, a little bit more hesitant to adopt them. And I think that really comes down to wanting 
to avoid conflicts of interest. And so I guess the advice that I'd give to any aspiring freelancer is really to, you know, make sure, understand where your company is along the spectrum. I mean, it can be helpful to have an honest conversation, understanding your employer's incentives to get the best work out of you as possible, to grow the company to its biggest extent, not necessarily your freelancing business. And then once you kind of understand the tone, look for freelancing that's not going to conflict. Look for something that uses a different skill, is in a different industry. Um, There was one woman I interviewed who was amazing. She is a pharmacist in kind of uh, who's now moved into a corporate role in, for- in pharma, but she is also an actor, a photographer, and a dancer. That is highly unlikely <laughs> to, yes. to conflict with her pharma work. And it gives her a lot of transferable skills from being on stage, from public speaking, that she can then use in her day job. So as long as you can show the value of what you're doing, even if it's unrelated, I think your employer is going to be much more supportive. And as long as you can, of course, get your work done and make sure the time commitment is not overtaking your life, that will be something they care a lot about as well. Uh, But I think one thing that employers really uh, could learn from freelancers is really to understand how entrepreneurial somebody has to be in order to succeed as a freelancer. Because as a freelancer, you're really doing it all. You're doing whatever the skill is. So my pharma actor, dancer friend, she's doing all of those things and photography too. I forgot that one. But then she's also selling those projects. She's also doing her contract negotiations to some extent. She's also doing her taxes. She's also sometimes managing a staff if she needs somebody to edit her photos. Those are leadership skills. And all of that is really valuable too. So if you can show what this full package of why freelancing makes you a better employee, I think that's something that companies really need to recognize because these are people, you wanted them to be entrepreneurial. You wanted them to think like an owner and here they are. So I think companies can recognize that. And I think companies can also understand that freelancers have a really great perspective on the economy that maybe a full-time employee doesn't because they're interacting with so many potential clients, seeing so many different business models, and they can then bring that to bear to work for their employer. So everybody needs to be on the same page here, but there is a lot of value for both sides to get. Yeah. Yeah. And companies, I think, are, are looking at it differently. They recognize that side hustles don't always mean you're going to lose your employees. Sometimes that means they're going to stay longer because they can be satisfied. But they're also understanding that they can bring in specialized talent for a project. And then that that person can can go away and they don't have the, the cost, really, of keeping them. And that person moves on to work for a different company, uh, especially if they have a, 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 a skill, you know, a really specialized skill. And uh, I think it's really interesting as I look at the work world and I advise young people as they're thinking about going out into the work world, you know, I see this pathway of developing a skill and then working for lots of different companies as a freelancer, as a real opportunity for the right people. And I love that you, that you, talked about the entrepreneurial mindset associated with with freelancing. That's the research I've been looking at, as you know, I think, and that's how we connected over the past uh, several years. And I I found that more and more of the people that I interview on my podcast either started their business as a side hustle or they, um, you know, they are freelancing, uh, especially, uh, as you mentioned, some design skills and technical skills and, and that sort of thing. So it's really interesting. One area that I find also interesting 
is that it seems like there's a whole opportunity for entrepreneurs to start businesses as intermediaries to help these freelancers um, actually take care of some of the some of the service uh, some of the resources that universities I mean excuse me that employers used to provide for them um, you know they they may not have uh, health insurance as you mentioned they may not have someone taking out their taxes for them on a regular basis. Well, they wouldn't. So they have to know all of that and they have to, you know, they have to have somebody take care of some of the payroll issues, personal payroll issues. Have you seen that trend? Yeah, I think this is really a big opportunity. It, it serves both a major pain point for freelancers and the market is quite large because the number of freelancers is growing day over day. And so the kinds of things that I've seen are really exactly what you said, you know, organizations that will step in and kind of do some of the administrative roles that a full-time job might otherwise do for the employees. So health insurance, yes, absolutely. That's a big one. I've also seen companies that help with, you know, getting your 401k set up, uh, other ones that will help with your taxes and getting your expense reports and corporate cards if you need that. Uh, there's also a fair amount around just building community as a freelancer and keeping your skills up to date. That's a really big opportunity for people to just connect. It can be a very isolating journey as a freelancer. And then the last piece is, of course, kind of the intermediary of finding work. And that is a really, uh, a really important role. We've seen a number of companies be very successful in that, but there are also a number of companies that are emerging for very specialized niches. So one of the women that I interviewed actually in my uh, book, her name is Ramitha Ravi, and she founded a company called Artswork. And she was really an interesting person because she is a professional dancer, uh, classically trained, and really she was on So You Think You Can Dance, just really a wonderful, accomplished uh, dancer in that regard. But she also went to Wharton for undergrad, and she also uh, is a UX designer, and she is also now the co-founder of Artswork. And Artswork is one of these companies that essentially, and full disclosure, I do consult for Artswork on the side, but um, yeah, one of these companies that will help actors and you know entertainment professionals find work between gigs. And that is, a, you know, a very decentralized market. There's a lot of opportunity there, and nobody has really stepped in to fill that role. With that comes a partnership for health insurance and, and down the line. This is, you know, one example that's top of mind, but it's not the only one. There are many companies that are finding a niche of worker that is, you know, needs to be taken care of in a way that can then provide value for both sides. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the finding finding work because that was the question I wanted to ask you. If somebody is listening and they're thinking, you know, I'd really love to try that freelance um, uh, work style, work style in my life. I'd like to to be thinking about that. What what would you recommend? I mean, there are some companies, and and I've talked to a number of them, more of them in the tech space that I've seen. Uh, but but how, what would you recommend to somebody in terms of finding opportunities to do freelance work? Yeah, I think it'll really depend on whether you've done work in this industry before. Uh, if you already have a portfolio and you already have some established skills, then I think, you know, tapping your personal network is probably the fastest and most efficient way to go about that. That might mean the same things that you do when you're job hunting, which is, you know, go to conferences, go for coffee chats, reach out to people on LinkedIn and whatever social media is right for your industry. Uh, but if you are exploring 
exploring a new asset that's going to go into your portfolio, a new skill, then I think the best thing to do is really start on a platform. And that way you can put bids for people who you know are already interested in hiring somebody for a specific role. The right platform is really going to vary depending on what the skill is that you're working on. Uh, Upwork and Fiverr are kind of the dominant ones that touch almost every industry, but you know those aren't necessarily the ones that you'll start with depending on what you need. But beyond that, I think once you've got your initial projects and you've got a little bit of a portfolio, the vast majority of freelancers are finding work through their networks. And that might be in social media. That might mean your past clients. That might mean that person that you met at the coffee shop who was just kind of standing in line next to you because much of our work comes from our weak ties. And those are people we don't know very well. And that's, you know, that is true for job seekers and freelancers alike. Yeah, uh, I love that you mentioned weak ties because that's uh, in in the there's a lot of research around that for entrepreneurship, the strong ties and weak ties. And there we're talking about your your strong network, your close family friends would be your strong ties, and then your weak ties are are, are uh, you know your broader network, people that you can interact with and connect with. So networking is a really important skill for entrepreneurs, and uh, it sounds like, in your opinion, it's also a really important skill for somebody who wants to be freelancing. Very similar to to anybody that wants to start a business, because I guess you are really, right, as a freelancer. Absolutely. You are starting your own business, and you can be strategic about networking. I would definitely recommend if you were a budding designer, for example, uh, going to a conference where there are potentially a lot of design clients or a lot of other designers who can then refer you. But at the same time, you know, life happens, a lot of it is just luck. And so for me, many of my you know great consulting projects didn't come from going to a strategy consulting conference. They came from taking an acting class. And the person sitting next to me was like, oh, I have a problem. And then we started talking about it and it was completely unrelated to what we had come to that room for. But it led to a great relationship. It led to something where we could continue to you know stay in touch and offer each other value. And so I think as a freelancer, whoever you are, you take that into every room you go into, and that's where you create the opportunity. Some rooms will just have a higher probability of luck happening, but that doesn't mean it can't happen at the coffee shop or walking down the street. It's just a little less likely. Yeah. No, but I think that's I think that's great advice. I mean, it's about staying open, right? And and talking to people and experiencing life in so many ways. Um, I mean, it might mean travel. It might mean all, a lot of fun things uh, that can really enrich our lives. And you, you just never know where you're going to run into that connection. But, well, I, I, love, um, I love that we're talking about on, um, freelancing and the entrepreneurial mindset. And, you know, when you think about an entrepreneurial mindset, there is, the, um, there is always the effort to minimize risk. Uh, entrepreneurs are risk takers. They have to step out and take a risk. And but but they spend a lot of their time working towards minimizing risk by being an expert in their field, by building strong networks, by you know being uh, careful with uh, financing and and money. Uh, does risk play a role also for a freelancer? Absolutely. The same things that would work for an entrepreneur, like being careful with finances, being an expert. Please do that as a freelancer, please. (laughs) That's good advice. Uh, I think as a freelancer, a couple of things that I would advise. One is really not to dive full time into freelance until you have a little landing pad for yourself, whether that's, you know, you've got either an anchor client who will take you on part time or close to full time and give you a regular paycheck 
or you have kind of a steady nine to five that will let you, or you finally built up the expertise that will allow you to have multiple clients and really manage that risk. That said, sometimes life makes decisions for us. <laughs> and then we find ourselves, you know, really having to start from scratch. And if that's where you are, it's fine. You can, you will find clients. You can absolutely be strategic about it and get your ducks in a row, even if it's not how you would choose. But what I would then suggest is to really use, you know, portfolio theory, honestly, from investing in order to manage your risk. Um, the same things that make for good investments, like having investments in complementary industries are really important for freelancers. So I'll come back to this example of the woman who, uh, Ramita, who is a dancer and designer and tech founder. She had a great thriving dance career in 2020. And then we had a pandemic. So then dance kind of shut down. Her entire industry yeah. vanished overnight. What a miracle that she was also able to do product design. She was able to do some kind of remote work that was available to her. And then that started to thrive. And that's what actually allowed her to found arts work. Same thing is kind of true for me. I work in blockchain compliance, but you know, crypto has very, uh, very high highs and very low lows. And when work is slow, having experience in other industries is incredibly important because it will help me find work. Uh, it helps me keep busy and keep my skills sharp and then allows me to kind of come in at a higher level once kind of the market picks up. So as you're designing your portfolio of things you want to freelance in, pay attention to how do they correlate with each other. Of course, also pay attention to do you enjoy them, <laughs> that matters, but to the extent that you enjoy all of the things and you're making some difficult decisions, choose things that are as different from each other as possible would be my advice. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And uh, I, I think any of our listeners who are interested in going into freelancing, uh, that, that can be very powerful and helpful uh, so that you can stay with what you want to, you know, stay in, in freelancing and do what you want to do and not be, uh, unfortunately, forced into going into something that, that might not be exactly what you want. Um, to afford to pay for your rent or, or your car or other expenses that you have. So, um, you know, one of the, um, one of the challenges of entrepreneurship also associated with risk is that we don't always calculate correctly. And, uh, sometimes we fail and failure is usually a part of any success journey because things don't always work out the way we want. And I think most entrepreneurs figure out that failure is, is that there's a lesson in failure. But I'm very curious about your thoughts on failure and freelancing and whether or not you've experienced any failures along the way or, or anybody that you interviewed talked about that in your book. I think the interesting relationship between entrepreneurship and freelancing is almost, if I may, a little bit of a spiritual level. Like the entrepreneurs I know, many of them go into it with their head, but at the same time, there's something in their heart that is really calling them to take this path. I don't think people do it because it's easy, because it's not. From what I've seen, it's really one of the harder paths you can take. And yet there is kind of this vision that you have for your life and you put everything in to try and make it work. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. For me, that absolutely has happened. And I've had a number of really interesting conversations with people who are artists. And, you know, one thing that comes up as an artist, which I think is, you know, spiritually related to being an entrepreneur, if I can take it there, 
is this question of, am I still a legitimate artist if I have to take a full-time job or if I choose to take a full-time job? And when we kind of take this back to the year 2015 and I was acting in India and I had given myself a deadline where if I didn't have enough work by this date, I would just come back and, you know, figure something out to pay my loans. The date came, of course, as, as the world does. I actually got cast in a music video and also got a consulting project on the same day. There was no remote work and I had to choose one or the other and it was all very dramatic. But uh, the thing is that I decided to take the consulting project and I then you know, joined a consulting firm full time and really went down this corporate path. And I wondered, you know, like on paper, that probably does make me a failed actor. And I met a number of other people who transitioned out of the arts into the corporate world. But one of the interesting things that happened after being in the corporate world for a little bit was they realized that as artists, they had really grown by virtue of having this corporate job. And so they were coming into their auditions with a different energy. They were able to take more risks because if they didn't get the part, it's fine. They had something to do tomorrow and they would just go for the next audition. Whereas before, when you're full-time as an actor or a freelancer, there can be a lot of pressure to make everything work at that particular moment. And the timing is unfortunately a little bit out of our control on most things in our career. So I think, you know, when it comes to failure, yeah, I mean, I've gotten redirected. Many of us have. And I think that the important thing is that you keep finding ways to access the things that light you up and that give you joy. And sometimes you go back and you try it again, and that's the right move for you. Sometimes it just becomes a part of who you are in your new role, in your new identity. And that's fine too. But I mean... I would never want to imagine the world where I didn't try. Yeah, yeah, and and I love uh, I love the way that you've uh, defined it as redirection because a lot of times I think that's what it is, and it reminds me of an entrepreneur I know who uh, sold. He he actually had a failed business and he had to go to work full time, but it was that full time work that actually gave him the inspiration for the next business that he started, which was wildly successful. And that story happens a lot. And I think that that's, um, it's all part of the life lessons, right? That get us to where we are. And uh, so, you know, as long as we can remember that failure isn't fatal and we want to execute past failure, um, that's, I think, uh, what we have to think about. So I'm really curious about, you're in blockchain and crypto now, so, uh, and, and you already admitted that you love to go into the space where there's a lot of exciting things going on. And so I'm sure you're also looking at AI and generative AI and everything that's going on there. So I, I just have to ask you about crypto and about blockchain and, um, you know, where where are we right now and what kinds of opportunities do you think there are? You're in you're in blockchain compliance, right? Could you tell us what that means? Yeah. So I actually recently came out of a full-time role where I was head of legal at a crypto company. And so that was legal and compliance. But uh, for me, what this has typically meant has really been understanding how the regulatory environment is evolving and then how that can be part of a startup's business plan in order to you know, create products that have competitive advantage and that really, you know, can be sustainable over the next few years, many years, ideally. 
Yeah. So, so you, you were actually working with a crypto company, right? Mm -hmm. And, and now you're, you're freelancing, doing a lot of the same things, working with a wide variety of, of, of crypto based companies or, or, I mean, everybody's looking at blockchain now, right? And yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's really, it's, it's now my second bear market in crypto. And I think that, you know, I actually really enjoy the bear markets in a weird way. Of course, the, the market is down and uh, there's a lot of challenges. But at the same time, people who are really serious about building something, this is when they build. That's where kind of the bull market comes from that follows the bear market. And so I really, um, you know, right now I'm doing a variety of work that's in crypto and beyond crypto. But at the same time, the people who I see showing up at conferences, the people who I see writing and posting about it online, the people I talk to, Everyone who is still talking about it is very, very passionate about it. And I have no no doubt that when people are passionate about a subject, that they show up, even when it's difficult, even when other people are saying, no, this isn't the time, that those people can really make something happen. Yeah, I think that's where the real opportunities lie, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, portfolio theory, you should be doing something that's counter-cyclical to what everyone else is doing. Get ahead of it. Yeah. So so legal compliance in crypto, lots of opportunity there, lots of things to figure out. Uh, same thing with generative AI and copywriting. I mean, you're a book author and you know, uh, you know the big movement in, in, in writing now is in the indie market. And uh, there are there are people on sort of both extremes and everywhere in between uh, about using generative AI. Any any thoughts on that? I know that's taking us kind of way off uh, the course, but I'm just really curious as a lawyer who's who's kind of uh, working in all the innovation spaces. If you have thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, it's transforming. It's already transformed the way we work, the way we execute and the way we think. Uh, it can create a lot of, you know, output very quickly, which can be very helpful. Absolutely. There is a place for that. I think as a freelancer, it's very important to understand how to interact with these technologies to get the best out of yourself and the best out of the technology. Uh, I think, you know, especially if you perform above average in your industry, you're an expert, you've been freelancing in this you know, relying on these is not necessarily going to immediately replace you because the value you're adding is your experience, is your judgment, is discernment between all the different options that a technology like ChatGPT can give you. At the same time, you know, we need to learn how to harness this for good, please. Uh, and also remember that a lot of what we connect with as human beings, we connect to because you know, it's the human experience. So I'm bringing art into this because I think that ChatGPT has, you know, really played a role in the writing sphere. And then, of course, we have the writer's strike going on right now as well. Um, and sag after and, and several other strikes as yes, well. Yes, yes. Uh, but, you know, I think that what, what you do as an artist, that extra value that you add from how you experience the world, how you experience connection, how you observe relationships and humans' place in society and, and beyond, that cannot really be replaced by Gen AI. At the same time, Gen AI can create some things that will make your day-to-day -day life potentially a lot easier, can make other people's day-to-day -day easier. I think, you know, there's going to be a lot, a lot in the legal sphere to understand, you know, who owns what, how, how far can we take this? Um, 
Yeah, I, I will really go down a rabbit hole now. So, I'll well, I, yeah, I know there's a, there's so much. I mean, we could talk for hours about this, right. but it's it's really a fascinating time, and and it's really um, for someone like you that has these crossover skills in the arts and in in law, and then and also in in finance. It's just, uh, I think that again can is just kind of a reminder of how powerful these freelance careers can be if we're willing to, um, I think I heard somebody call them slash careers, you know, if you're willing to try a lot of, a lot of different things. And, um, and uh, it's, it's just an exciting time, I think. And, um, and, uh, and it's really fun to see young people like you who are, who are kind of rewriting the way we work. And, uh, you know, it's not just about, do you work remotely? Do you use AI? Um, you know, are you in crypto? I mean, it's about bringing all of that stuff together in a really interesting and fascinating way, I think, and, and transforming everything around us and our own lives in the process. So it's just such an exciting journey and fun to see. And, and I've loved this conversation. It's really, it's really been fascinating for me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm excited to see what you do next, uh, Joy. I think it's the, you know, building a brand uh, around, uh, which is another project for anybody that wants to be a, um, a freelancer, right? They, they're kind of building the, their own personal brand. And, uh, and I think that's what you've been doing and, and your book. I'm excited to, uh, you know, I hope everybody that's listening will go re- get your book and read it. I think, you know, freelancing is something to think about no matter what age uh, you are and at what stage and at any, every stage of career. So it's been great conversation. I always ask my guests before we, we close, if there was one piece of advice that they would leave, could leave with our listeners, what would it be? And I'd love to ask you, um, if you'd be, if you'd be willing to share that with our audience one, I know you've given us a lot of great ideas today, but one piece of advice. Yeah. I think that start small and start now. Yeah. Don't wait, right? No, no. Just take a smaller experiment. If you're not ready to take the big plunge, but get moving because action begets action. You start to learn, you start to grow, you start to meet people and that's how things happen. Yeah. You got to take action. I love it. Entrepreneurial mindset. (laughs) So where can our listeners find you and and find out more about uh, your book and what you do? Yeah, I am everywhere. Uh, my website is joybatra.com and I'm on all the social medias at joybatra. So please get in touch. I'd love to hear you know, about people's entrepreneurial journeys as well and hope to continue the conversation. Thank you, Joy. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor. Factor.